Remember this, we must not forget that our saving faith is precious and valuable. We must be diligent to determine and know sound doctrine. We must preserve the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember this, fake doctrine promises a refreshing reign of hope, but it brings dryness. Fake doctrine promises spiritual life, but it only brings death. Fake doctrine promises spiritual fruit, but only delivers emptiness. Remember this, the world has subtle and clever ways to try to confuse and discourage you. So keep yourself ready in God's love and pray for the Holy Spirit to build you up. Have mercy and compassion on those polluted by sin. Remember this, be ready to discern truth from almost truth. Be ready for Christ's return. Be ready to contend for the faith. Reaching back to my high school days, I had a friend, we're gonna call him Bob, uh, more of acquaintances than really good friends, Yeah, but we, we didn't really hang out in the same circles, but occasionally we would end up uh, together in environments, and he occasionally would come to our, my home church, the church that I grew up in, so we'd see him there, and um, post high school, somebody told me that he was going into the ministry, and I was going into the ministry, and so I thought it was kind of cool that both of us were heading in the same direction, both of us gonna be student, pastors, ministers, and that was going to be pretty cool, right? So uh, I came to McGregor uh, in 19-something, and um, we had a, uh, you know, I was here for several years, and all of a sudden, Bob shows up at a sister church here pretty close. I thought it was pretty cool, you know, the guy that I went to high school with, and now he's also a student minister here in town. So it was pretty cool. We got to connect, and he was at a small church but yet had a thriving student ministry. I mean, you know, almost as many kids in his student ministry as they were in the church. He was charismatic, he was athletic, you know, just a great guy. And clearly people, young people were attracted to him and he was doing a great, great thing. And um, we did some several events together through those years and connected. It was awesome to see what, how God was using him. Fast forward a couple of years, uh, we, he, he left that church uh, for whatever reason, went on, and we kind of lost contact with one another. And then we reconnected. And when we reconnected, I had this conversation with him, and I found out that he was no longer in the ministry. He was no longer going to church. And he was really questioning his faith altogether. I wasn't even sure what he believed. And I'm like, just mind-blowing that somebody who apparently had been used of God so greatly and such a charismatic leader could get to that position in life. You know, I think that if, as it broke my heart, we probably all can relate to people. If you've walked with Christ very long, you have people in your life that you know that started that journey of faith only to fall away from the faith. You know, they're no longer serving the Lord. They no longer go to church. They no longer are in the word. There's a word that we use to describe people like that. And the word is apostate. Apostate is that pretender, somebody who looks like a follower of Christ, but they really aren't a follower of Christ. And I, I jotted down a couple of things to make sure that we understand what we're talking about is first, an apostate is not simply an unbeliever because the world is full of unbelievers, Right? So an apostate is not somebody just simply an unbeliever because we know that there are many, many of those. An apostate, secondly, is not simply a struggling Christian. Because if I asked how many of you in your 
pilgrimage, in your spiritual journey, have ever struggled in your faith, most of us would raise our hand. You know, there is a period of time in our life where we struggled in our walk with the Lord. But that's not what an apostate is. And also, to be clear, an apostate was never a believer. They never really were a believer. They never had a genuine, authentic faith in Jesus Christ alone. They pretended like they were. They, they may have gone through the actions. They may have even been in a position of leadership, authority, but that does not make them an authentic believer. See, apostates appear to be a believer, but they really aren't. In 1 John 2, 19, it says, they went out from us, but they were not one of us. For if they had been one of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not one of us. Last week, Pastor Russell started us in this book of Jude, a small book written by the half-brother of Jesus. And as he shared with us last week, and as our video uh, intro shares with us, you know, we are challenged to contend for the faith. We're challenged to contend for the gospel. So I'm going to start with verse 1 in chapter one, the only one of Jude. Verse one, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God, the father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all believers to the saints. So Jude says, there was something that I wanted to write to you, but something's more important, and that is contending for the faith. Verse four, for certain people, this is why, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. These certain people have crept in and Jude is saying, be on guard against those people that creep into the church and lead people astray. The truth is that we have a visible church and we have an invisible church. The visible church is those that gather together at 3750 Colonial Boulevard. You say that you're a member of McGregor Baptist Church. We have records of who you are the visible church, we can count you. The invisible church are those that have an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ, that spiritually they've been drawn to the Father through the grace of the Son, and they are a part of the authentic body of Christ. Much, much more difficult to discern. And I pray that, our, that the, those alignments are very, very close. But we know that that's not always true, that there are people that are in the body of Christ, the visible church of Christ, that are not authentic believers of Christ. So we must contend for the faith. We must be on guard against those people that come into our midst and seek to distract us or pull us away from the truth of the gospel. And I want to remind us that we should always those people that fall away, that we should always be praying for them. For we don't know if God's going to bring them back into the fold. 
There are three verses this morning. Jude addresses this reality of contending for the faith. And he gives us three incredible examples. In verse five, it says, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. See, the theme of these three verses as we look at them is to contend for the faith. But Jude gives us an example of three examples, to be specific, of individuals, of people, groups, that did not contend well, that fell away. As I studied over the past couple of weeks, this passage of scripture, uh, it came to me, there's several things that just jumped out. One is there's a warning of the negative influence of the apostates. There's a, a warning of people who are gonna come into the, the midst of the body of Christ and seek to pull people away. Also, I believe that there's an importance of endurance. You know, there's an importance of persevering in our faith. Like I said, you know, many of us in here would attest to times in our life that were, were hard, that we struggled, but we have to persevere through those times, don't we? We have to keep on keeping on. And ultimately, it's a reminder, these three examples are a reminder that unbelief, rebellion, and immorality have consequences spiritually. So, Going back to verse five, Jude reminds us of this apostasy. He says in verse five, he says, now I want to remind you. Now I want to remind you. This is not new information, evidently, to his audience. These, these are examples that they would have been familiar with. He says, now I want to remind you. It's interesting how important it is for us to remember things, right? Uh, because we are prone to forget, right? Uh, I know that gentlemen, we have this tendency of being prone to forget, don't we? You know, our wives will tell us something and 10 seconds later, we're like, now, what did you say? You know, I mean, we can forget in an instant. Now, I don't know if we really forget or if there's something else going on there, but nonetheless, the reality is that we have this ability that we're prone to forget what we've been taught. As a pastor for many years, uh, I've had people tell me, heartbreakingly so, that, well, I don't really go to church anymore. You know, I just don't really need to go to church because I've heard all those stories before. I'm familiar with it. And I'm thinking, how tragic. How tragic that, first of all, that you think falsely that you know it all. And secondly, that you don't need to be reminded. We all need to be reminded of the truth of scripture because we know that as believers, the Holy Spirit abiding in us does something to convict us and move us to righteousness as we hear and study the word of God. There is an important importance to being reminded. And Jude says, remember, remember, I want to remind you of these things. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He says, as for the root facts, the fundamental doctrines, the primary truths of scripture we must from day to day insist upon them. We must never say of them, everybody knows them, for alas, everybody forgets them. 
we must be reminded, reminded faithfully and consistently. So Jude then launches into these three examples for us. In verse five, he says, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, that Jesus, notice he says, Jesus, evidently Jesus was there from the beginning, right? Jesus and God are one. Jesus was there. He rescued, he saved a people out of the land of Egypt. Afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. Jude refers to these Israelites in one simple statement, one simple verse where it took chapters in the Old Testament to share the story of the Israelites. But what we know about the Israelites is that these Israelites were under bondage of the Egyptians and God saw their plight and he stepped out and he rescued them. He redeemed them out of Egypt. He did all kinds of miracles to get Pharaoh to let them go. And then he drowned the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. And then he provided faithfully for the Israelites through the wilderness. God did some miraculous things that the Israelites would have seen and attested to. It's crazy. It's crazy for me to think that men and women who could witness such incredible acts of God would be found unfaithful that they would walk away in disbelief. But that's exactly what happens. In Psalms 95 verse 10 says, for 40 years, I loathe that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. See, the warning through Jude is clear. Those people that don't believe that aren't faithful to the end will experience the wrath of God. In Hebrews 7, I'm sorry, Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 12. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the day of rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked that with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they will not know my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you in an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Jude's example of the Israelites is a great reminder to us of the consequences of unbelief. In spite of God's miraculous protection, provision, for the Israelites, they failed to believe that they could enter the promised land. They stood on the cusp of entering and they failed to believe. You know what's interesting? I think it's easy for us to say, oh, those Israelites, you know, the, the only the few actually entered the promised land. So many of them died in the wilderness. How tragic that they died in the wilderness. But it's worse than that, isn't it? Not only did they die in the wilderness, but they are lost people lost eternally. A couple lessons from the Israelites that I see is they started right, but they didn't end right. You know, they started on that journey, you know, led out of Egypt, following God through the wilderness. They started right. They looked good, but they didn't end good. It's not so much how you start, it's how you finish the race, right? We got to keep our eyes set on the prize before us. Where it's out there, we can't be weary and well-doing. Hebrews 10.36 says, 
For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. We have need of endurance. You know, our journey, our spiritual journey is a journey of perseverance. You know, it's not so much how you start, but how you finish. The second thing I, lesson I learned from the Israelites' is past experience is an unreliable, unreliable indicator of our faith. Yeah, you got to look at these Israelites and you think, man, you've had some incredible experiences, incredible experiences, miraculous things happen before your very eyes and let, let, but yet you still didn't believe. Second Corinthians 13, five says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize this is about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? So the question is, what are you trusting in? Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? See, it's easy, it's easy for us to put trust in a lot of different things. We could put trust in our Christian heritage, our upbringing, our family. Maybe you put your trust in, you know, I go to a great Baptist church or Maybe you know, I attend regularly or I give or I take up a seat in a pew. You know, maybe there's things that you trust in that's not the work of Jesus. For the only thing that saves is the blood of Jesus. Amen. We have to be trusting in the right thing. The walking an aisle saying a prayer, that's not necessarily what God is necessarily looking for. Outward expressions may be good, but they may be a false indicator of what is inside a person's heart. Can we as a corporate church do things that might encourage defection, deflection, defecting from the faith? It's a hard question for us to ask, but I thought that, you know, where God's word is not soundly preached and taught where the gospel is watered down where we make coming to church more about a fun event than the truth of God's word, where we fail to avoid teaching about sin. Yeah, there are a lot of things that we could potentially do and probably the church does outside that can cause people to defect because we can make them think that they're believers and look good. See, here at McGregor, I believe that it's so important for us and I believe that that preaching Christ and Christ alone saves. He is the way. He is the only way to eternal life. God created man. Man sinned, fell away. God created his son, gave us his son as a redemption for our sin. And if we repent, turn from our sin, we can be saved. The third thing I see in this example is that unbelief has consequences. It says, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. It assures us that certain men causing trouble will certainly be destroyed. Those that have no faith will be destroyed. The second example of apostasy is this, the dangers of rebellion. Verse six, the and angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. It's only one verse, but 
Many commentators look at this one verse and say, this is one of the most challenging singular verses in scripture. It's a tough verse to understand. You know, angels, most of us, when we think of angels, we think of something very nice, right? Delightful, maybe got some wings. Uh, maybe you have some images, maybe some pictures. Uh, you know, I've got a couple grandchildren and I call them angels because they are angelic, right? They're very angelic beings. You know, they, they do what's right for, for grandpa. Pops is what I'm called. Uh, mom and dad would disagree with all this, of course. But generally speaking, we have this kind of idea of angels as something beautiful and, and nice and picture perfect. So it's kind of mind blowing that in Jude's depiction, this illustration here, this example is of fallen angels, angels who fell and rebelled against their position, right? There's so many things that we don't understand about this verse, but two things that Jude makes clear. Jude makes these two things clear for us. He says, first of all, these angels did not stay in their own position. They didn't stay in their own position, their own position of authority. You know, God had created them and given them a position of authority and they didn't like their position of authority. And secondly, they left their own abode or their own dwelling, the place where God had placed them. Can you imagine being discontent with what God has given to you and the authority and the place? I've met many people that God has given a lot to that are very discontent with what God has given to them. You know, it seems like we have this sinful nature in us that always wants to desire something that someone else has. The grass, grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Can you imagine being a discontented angel? I don't think it's so far from our reality because we understand our own human nature and how easy it is for us to grow very discontent with where we are. Second Peter two, four says this says, if for, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into eternal hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If, if, if God didn't spare the angels, he's not going to spare those that rebel against him. I believe that there's a couple lessons that we can learn from this example. No matter how great you are, no one is beyond falling away. One of the things that's marked, I think in both, all three of these illustrations, these examples is the arrogance and pride that comes from these three examples. And I think that the truth is, I believe that these angels, no matter how great they were, they fell. It may be an example for us that no matter how great we think we are in the kingdom of God, no matter how important we think or what a prestigious place that we have, that no one is beyond falling away. Our past spiritual experiences, no matter how great they are and may be, don't guarantee the future grace of God if we, haven't, if we don't have an authentic faith. The second thing is accept God's plan for your life. Are you content and confident with where God is 
and what God is doing in your life. Hebrews 13, five and six says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Contentment. A great challenge in our world today. And the third thing is that there are consequences. There are consequences for those that rebel against God's purpose and plan for their life. The third example that Jude gives us here is the danger of immorality found in verse seven. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they are in the same way as these indulge in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, flesh are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. It's possible that no story has impacted the Israelites like the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, it's recorded some 20 times in scripture. And generally speaking, if you've been raised in church, <clears throat> uh, your, our minds typically go to the sexual immorality of the Sodom and Gomorrah. Gomorrah. But it was so much bigger than that. You know, it, it goes beyond just their immorality because they were uh, people who, uh, you know, didn't take care of the poor. They abused the poor. They were prideful, arrogant. You know, it, it's kind of the whole encompassing attitude that goes with this, I'm bigger than you and I can do whatever I want type of attitude. And in spite of being called to repentance over and over and over again, Sodom and Gomorrah decided that they were going to do their own thing. They were going to go their own way. They refused to submit and repent. And they lived in their own sexual immorality. And I believe that Sodom and Gomorrah are great examples to us. Lessons that can be learned. The first one is past spiritual blessings are no guarantee of a future righteousness. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah at one time seemed to be thriving cities, prosperous, well put together. And ended up leading to this debauchery, this life that was against, opposed to God. See, past spiritual blessings, we can't depend on those. We can't lean into the past. We need to keep pursuing, looking forward, pressing toward that mark. We can't rely on the things in our past. The second thing I see lesson is where there is no repentance, there will be judgment. See, all three of these examples remind us that there are consequences. There are consequences for unbelief. There's consequences for rebellion. There's consequences for this immorality. Where there's no repentance, there will be judgment. These examples are examples put before us through Jude to contend for the faith. Be careful that there are people that seep in to our midst that seek to distract us pull us away, lead us astray. We need to be careful. We need to be earnestly contending for an authentic faith. And we attend to that authentic faith by standing firm on the foundation of God's word. Over the past several weeks, I've had the opportunity right after Ian hit Southwest Florida to visit with several of our widows. Senior saints, as I'm visiting with them, in some cases, uh, ladies who've lost pretty much everything, 
the thing that I kept hearing over and over again was my foundation is secure. God is still on his throne. It's just stuff. And I thought, how, 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 does, how does that happen? How do people come through such tragic and devastating times and still have that kind of outward looking, forward thinking perspective in life? And they do so because they have a firm foundation of God's word. God's word. And I think that's how we stand against and contend for the faith is being content, committed to the truth of scripture, understanding what God's word says. I am grateful. I'm grateful that here at McGregor that we are committed to the biblical truth and that alone. Because see, we have been inundated by our culture, all sides to, to dissuade us, to pull us away, to get us to compromise because we see it all about us. May we be faithful. May, in spite of the way and the direction of the world around us, may we be faithful to stay true to the word of God, even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, even if it goes against our cultural culture. May we speak the truth and may we speak it in love, but may we speak it. First Corinthians 10, 12 says, therefore, if anyone who thinks that he stand, take heed lest he fall. All three of these examples, I believe, are examples of people, people groups that because of their pride and arrogance fell away from a living God. May that not be our plight. In Hebrews 3, 12 and 13 says, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long it is called today, that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. May we exhort and challenge one another faithfully with the word of God. You know, I don't, I don't know where my, my friend Bob is today. Um, like I said, I've not talked to him in many years, but I do pray that he is faithfully walking with Jesus. But I also am not naive to think that that is absolutely the case because there are people that turn their back on God because they never had a authentic, genuine faith and they never return. May we be people, may we be a church that's committed to contending for the faith, drawing people, praying for people, but content, contend for the faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ. 